The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. I'm joined this morning by Mark Hennessy, who is Ireland and Britain editor of the Irish Times, and Valerie Cox, journalist and author. And where we begin is with Mark's paper, which has on the front page uh, Daniel McLaughlin writing under the headline Another Putin Enemy Dies and a little more hope for a free Russia dies with him. This is the death of Alexei Navalny. Now, a lot of people are are holding short of saying that Putin was directly and personally responsible for ordering his death. But the general consensus seems to be that he was responsible and his regime were responsible. That's what David Cameron, the UK Foreign Secretary, is saying. That's what uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are saying. And it is most definitely what his widow, Yulia, is saying. It's extraordinary in, uh, in this man's, in the case of this man's death, Mark, the bravery that he displayed because he recovered from a Novichok poisoning in Germany, kissed his wife goodbye and returned to Russia knowing what he might face. Yeah, I mean, you'd certainly have to admire the courage. Um, and clearly he did have a, a very, uh, must have had a very strong sense of what could have happened, given the number of Putin enemies uh, who have died or who have been killed or have suffered mysterious falls or whatever it is uh, over the last uh, 25 years. Um, uh, you know, I mean, Navalny was an interesting fellow. I mean, he was... Uh, strongly nationalistic uh, in an earlier part of his career, viciously anti-immigrant. Um, so, you know, the idea that uh, he he can be portrayed as kind of a latter-day Martin Luther King is probably overstated. But having said that... But sorry, uh, Mike, do we, do we separate to some extent no. the, the views that he would wish to espouse if democracy existed with his desire yeah, to bring yeah, about yeah, democracy. No, that, that's the point I was getting to, that, that there was a development in his thinking over uh, the last uh, 20 years, clearly, um, where he was somebody who, who, who moved very significantly away from uh, previous views, um, but was a unique uh, threat uh, to Putin simply because of his ability to communicate. You know, I mean, he had uh, that ability to produce the YouTube video that would go viral and all the rest of it, where there have been a lot of previous... Uh, people of uh, who are lesser known in Russia, who were irritants uh, to Putin, but didn't have the ability to mobilize uh, significant numbers. But Navalny's death isn't going to mobilize anything significant now. You, you saw some signs of small, uh, not protests last night, but people leaving flowers. But already there were uh, signals of people getting Oh, uh, you'd be brave to arrested. do even that, wouldn't you? Y- you would want to be extremely brave, yeah. Yeah, you really would. And and it's it, the easiest thing in life is to ask somebody else to be brave. Um, but it is, uh, you know, they're, they're in a different place. And for him to have, for um, Putin to have done this so close to the election on a day when uh, the Munich Security Conference was taking place with, you know, leading figures from all around the world uh, uh, involved in this area. You know, this was a deliberate uh, two fingers. I can do this any time I like and you lot don't matter. And and when you hear um, uh, some people on the far left, uh, particularly uh, acting as Putin apologists and um, arguing that, you know, support should be at the far right in the US, but the far left on this side, uh, arguing that uh, support should be taken away from Ukraine. You know, uh, Ukraine are a proxy for everybody else and they're the ones who are shedding blood. 
can I go to the thing that uh, Mark said, Valerie, about the capacity of Putin to use this kind of action as a way of giving two fingers to the international community? We have seen sanctions on Russia. Yeah. We have seen embargoes on Russian products. We have a situation where that even simple things like that they can't get parts for planes because Airbus will no longer service the aircraft that they had, nor will Boeing. None of that has made any difference. Putin seems to have an an absolute capacity to say, I do not care, I will do whatever I want and human life means not. Absolutely. But I don't think he ever expected Navalny to fly from Germany and go back to Russia. I think he thought he'd probably, you know, rinsed his hands of him. So when he went back in 1921, uh, I mean, maybe it was a very brave move. But at the same time, Navalny knew what he was going back to because, I mean, other people had been assassinated. And um, we also had uh, Boris Nemtsov. I mean, he was shot dead in only 2015. So, I mean, this is a globally... I mean, it's a, it's a global system where people get rid of their opposition. I mean, God, we did it with Michael Collins, didn't we? But, you know, throughout the world, this always happens. And Putin is just especially good at it and getting rid of people. And what he did um, with Navalny, I think by sending him off to the um, the frozen tundra to a horrible fate up there, I think he thought maybe he wouldn't be able to communicate so much. But Navalny was able, through his lawyer, he was, he was an expert with social media, he was getting all these messages out and that really I suppose was getting on Putin's nerves and he probably thought you know I'm just going to finish this once and for all I mean virtually everybody has come out and said yes uh, you know Putin is probably responsible this is probably a murder although whether we'll ever know I mean we'll never know unless the politics in Russia change I mean like the last time when eventually people came out and told stories of what had been happening during the Second World but whether War it, even, Whether you know? it is active or whether it is a, 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 a death by a thousand cuts I mean the Norwegians have proven that it, it, you can keep a reprehensible prisoner as far as you are concerned alive I mean Anders Bering Breivik has been kept well and healthy ever since he did what he did if Putin Putin wanted Navalny to still be alive. One assumes Navalny would still very much be alive. Mm. What then, in the context of this, Mark, about the kind of what used to be called useful idiots that are now acting um, uh, to some extent on Putin's behalf? We had Tucker Carlson, one of the most influential journalists in the States. Whether you like him or not, that's what Mm -hmm. he is. Mm -hmm. He spent last week or the week before in Russia doing a soft soap interview of Putin and then propaganda for how good their supermarkets are. Yeah, and, and I was speaking yesterday at a conference in the wake of the news of Navalny's death and was defending uh, Putin, saying that leaders kill. Uh, and that is, in some ways, that, that way in which the, um, the, the American far, uh, right, far right, in his case, uh, have, um, have morphed over the last number of years is absolutely extraordinary. And the way in which so many of them are now following an agenda that is in Russia's interests and and most of the time against uh, their own countries is you know it, it's actually mind blowing that people actually end up in that position particularly and when when so many of them wrap themselves in the clothes of Ronald oh, Reagan who was yeah. such an arch yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, enemy of yeah. the I mean, Russian it, system it, and communism it, it makes it makes no logical sense no matter what way uh, you look at it and to the extent that you have to very strongly uh, suspect uh, the motives Uh, of why some of these people are doing some of the things that they're doing, you know. Um, There are things that people do uh, unpaid and there are things that people do paid. And I would be, you know, very suspicious. But in Carlson's case, I mean, he's a cheap little shyster, you know, uh, who has... But a very successful, very rich, cheap little shyster who is supported very actively by Elon Musk on whose platform he reaches hundreds of millions of people. No, absolutely. And and you see in the way in which um, Musk has... Uh, has changed the uh, the 
the algorithms uh, on uh, Twitter where a whole lot of um, normally of responsible media sources and everything else have been uh, dialed down and irresponsible sources have been dialed up. Uh, and you saw it uh, this week where uh, you may have seen uh, there was a lot of reporting out of Silicon Valley where he had organised huge, big um, engineer meetings in, in X or Twitter because his own numbers are now falling on uh, uh, on Twitter and the shares are falling. So this is now a moment of crisis for him. So he gets all of his people to try and figure out uh, how he can boost his own numbers. Now, as we talk, I know that there will be people who are listening who will say, it is free speech, there is no harm in free speech, it is unencumbered if that's what he wants to say and that people can take with a pinch of salt what uh, they, they listen to or what they consume. Does it matter, Valerie, if we have that kind of misinformation because I mean he allowed uh, Vladimir Putin to assert during his interview that Poland brought the Second World War on themselves. Yes. I mean it's quite extraordinary and I think it's just a very good thing that we have good journalists around the world who are going to pick up on these things and explain them and go on social media and so on because you know this kind of thing needs analysis it really does and it needs people who are journalists or commentators or whatever to be able to follow these stories in depth and pull them apart because it's actually very dangerous if we take things at face value. I mean, we know that. And even if it's especially if it's someone like Putin or Trump or whatever, whatever they say does need to be analysed and explained in real English, if you like, to everybody else. Can I ask one thing about the reaction to uh, Alexei Navalny's death? His widow, uh, Yulia Navalnyaya, said that uh, Putin will be held accountable for this. Now, obviously, she would desire that he would be held accountable. But do you think there is any chance that she'll be proven right? Is there any chance that Putin will be held accountable for any of this? No, there's no there's no possibility whatsoever. Uh, if Putin uh, ends up uh, getting, getting taken out, he'll get taken out by one of his own people who'll be uh, as bad as he is and for reasons that are have nothing to do with uh, democracy but rather um, sharing out whatever illegal cake there is to be shared uh, in Moscow. So, no, I mean, that's, that's not going to happen. You know? 53106 at a cost of 30 cent if you want to get in touch or 087-1400-106 on WhatsApp. That's Mark Hennessy. He's the Ireland and Britain editor of the Irish Times and uh, with him and me is Valerie Cox, journalist and author. And uh, the other story that is making a lot of the news this weekend is Valerie's former employer... <laughs> where on the front of the Irish Daily Mail there is a call from the Irish Daily Mail to the new Director General of RTE saying prove you're better than D Forbes. Pressure mounts on Backhurst as Chair of Media Committee demands to know what exit packages RTE Chief has approved. And this is because we have discovered that Kevin Backhurst, the new DG, signed off on an exit package for Rory Coveney um, a la the one that Breda O'Keefe got. As a reminder, Brida O'Keefe was in receipt of €450,000 for apparently being made redundant as CFO, but was then replaced by a new CFO. Uh, Valerie, am I missing something? It seems extraordinary, like unfathomable, that somebody can be given the equivalent of a lottery win Mm. for resigning. Yeah, it's it's absolutely extraordinary. I mean, we're talking about major money here to take most journalists about 10 years to earn that kind of money. And of course, it wasn't a redundancy payment as they claimed. So 
tax should have been paid, USC or whatever you pay on these payments um, if it's not a redundancy payment. So I, I just find it extraordinary. Um, I think also we're, at, a, we're at, at the tip of another little iceberg here where there's probably lots more going to come out. I mean, we don't know how much the other payments were, but if they're anything in line with that, I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of money. And um, I just thought it was but interesting. here's the thing I don't understand. I mean, again, I find myself thinking maybe I'm very naive. Why was there any payments whatsoever? If you have decided to resign, goodbye. If you haven't decided to resign and we have concerns about your performance, we can sideline you and put you through a process accordingly. Why are you getting balls of cash? You're getting balls of cash because basically you're the top of the chain, you're one of the guys and you make decisions to benefit your colleagues. And that is what it's always been about. Um, the general public, the workers in RT would not know about any of this because this is taking place at the higher echelons. And fine, if it's a private company or pe- and people are doing that, that's grand. But it certainly isn't grand to be doing it with public money and especially with an organisation which was teetering on the brink financially. It's a very, very serious issue. Now, I mean, uh, Kevin Backhurst is... Um, is allegedly has um, signed off on other redundancy packages or other exit packages and people are demanding um, demanding to know the details of that and how that's going to work. So I think when that comes out we'll probably we're probably going to be shocked again and again and again Anton because she can't be Brita just can't be one, the only one that this happened to. Um, you kind of wonder though because she probably had a pension as well. And, you know, if you've been in RT for a long time, your pension could be very substantial. So that may not even be the full extent of the largesse that she received from her tenure with RT. And I suppose when you put it into context, I mean, where, where um, Valerie talks about it being public money, it isn't taxpayers' money, it's licence payers' money. If you're, if you're working as a receptionist, it would take you, what, 17 years to earn that money? If you're a frontline guard, it takes you 10 years to earn that money? That's a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? Well, it is, but um, the reason why payments like that would be made in some cases is to ensure that people part from the organisation. Can you do that with public money? Can you? No, I'm not. You can can see why uh, it's going to become um, a a more controversial issue. The danger in all of this is that um, it's death by a thousand cuts that this story just simply doesn't uh, go away. And there are lots of things that happened in RTE that clearly can never happen again. But I think the point that I made to you the last time we spoke, you know, one of the important things that we have to be careful about is that we don't end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We need uh, a surviving, thriving public sector uh, broadcaster now more than ever. And as you see from the Tucker Carlson's of this world, uh, this sort of stuff can't be left entirely to uh, the private sector. There's a valid need for uh, a, a surviving uh, public sector broadcaster. Can I go to the subhead? Because, by the way, on that topic, there is a, a, there's a thing that I'm, I'm wondering about, which is D Forbes, when she was appointed, the one area where she had little or no, as I understand it, background was in editorial or production. She hadn't worked as a producer. She hadn't mm. worked as a broadcast mm. journalist. Um, she was the editor-in-chief of RTE. In other words, she was responsible for its editorial output and for its mm. quality of journalism. If we have this kind of problem on the corporate governance side, where she is supposed to have been an expert. What about the editorial side? How do we know that standards have maintained there if she was the editor-in-chief for her period? 
because I don't think Lee would have been needed uh, uh, to have acted in that role because there are plenty of talented journalists in RTE. I'm not sure that there's any equivalent sins. In fact, I'm pretty certain that there aren't any equivalent sins uh, on the other side. And I doubt very much if on a day-to-day basis that she ever had much to do with the subject. Subhead on the mail then. Pressure mounts on Backhurst as Chair of Media Committee demands to know what exit packages RTE chief has approved. He has, Valerie, to some extent, created a rod for his own back because he's he gave to the committee the details of an yeah. ostensibly confidential uh, package with Breda O'Keefe. How does he now decide he won't give other package details? Well, I think he's going to be pressurised into doing that. But I thought it was interesting that um, there's and reported in the mail this morning that um, Neve Smith, um, Deputy Smith, said that details of the 2.6 million in termination pack benefits um, were given between 2017 and 2022. But, she says then, I never forget sitting at the committee last summer and being stuck to my seat when Mr Coveney said to me that the 2.2 million lost on the toy show, a toy show musical, made no material difference to the financial situation of RTE. And she says that just proves the bubble they were living in, that, you know, this payout of 2.6 million in termination packages wasn't seen as huge money. And I think that's probably part of the problem because, you know, many of these, we don't know all their salaries, we don't know what the uh, termination packages were, but they were in line with that kind of thinking. And the other thing is that some of these people probably regard themselves as, you know, where do I sit in relation to the private sector? This is what their executives are getting. This is what I expect. But what we know now is that they weren't doing a great job, as evidenced by the number of resignations we've had since and the number of people who are just running for cover. Um, Although, of course, the question now is whether or not they were resignations, because what we discover is some of them came with packages, which totally changes our perception of them. The other story then that is making the news this weekend is that major airlines are threatening to pull Dublin airport flights. This is the ongoing saga about the passenger cap in Dublin airport. We've had Ryanair calling for it to be lifted. We've had Kenny Jacobs roaring from the rooftops that he wants it uh, to be lifted. We now have the uh, US industry group that represents American Airlines United and Delta saying they need to to, um, lift it. We have a long history, Mark, of listening quite attentively to major US employers. We do, and but obviously everybody's coming to this particular party with their own uh, interest in it. I mean, this is a classic example of how um, climate change and all of the actions that are deemed to be necessary uh, to deal with climate change are politically um, unsaleable when you start telling people there are things you can't do tomorrow that you did yesterday. And and sooner or later, we're all going to be faced with this in a, in a very stark way. Whatever, I don't know what a, a safe number in Dublin airport is. And if you were living within two miles of the airport, I'm sure uh, one's view on the matter would be different, perhaps to somebody like me living away from it. Um, but... Uh, There is equally uh, an issue over the refusal or the failure of uh, both airlines and indeed the state and the state authorities to develop the other airports that we have. I mean, I'm not sure that everybody uh, needs to go through uh, Dublin Airport in quite the way that they do. And could an awful lot of pressure and numbers be taken away by the proper development of Shannon, which, unlike almost any other airport in the world, can actually operate on a 24 hour basis? Yeah. I absolutely agree with Mark on that. And the irony here is that we have the IDA running around the country trying to persuade multinationals to come into all these rural areas. And oh, yes, we have a lovely airport at Knock and so on. And this is actually 
actually quite a threatening statement by the airlines for America. You know, not only will we pull our planes, but we'll pull the multinationals. Well, I don't think the multinationals are going to be that stupid or that swayed by a threat like that. They will find other ways around it. We're only talking about airlines. We're not talking about these multi-million um, setups they have where they pay very little tax and make tons of money all over the country. Now, the, the IDA tell us that connectivity is hugely important, that the capacity to quickly fly in from Atlanta or from wherever else have your meeting. Yeah, and it is, but it, it, what type of connectivity is, uh, is important? If your argument is, if we accept at some point that there's a level at which Dublin Airport cannot grow beyond, okay, whatever that number is, 32 million now, 40 million, 60 million in years to come, whatever it is, we agree on some figure. At some point, you're going to have to turn around and say, well, we need uh, 100 planes to go to the US, but perhaps we don't need 5,000 to go to the Canaries. You know, not every flight and not every passenger on every flight is of equal value. But try and tell that to the person who feels that they're affected and they can't go to um, Mallorca or wherever. If you have a view, 53106 or 087-1400-106. Valerie Cox, journalist and author, thank you very much. Likewise, big thank you to Mark Hennessy, Ireland and Britain editor of the Irish Times. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.